Hey everyone, I'm Puffy back with you again for another Campus Pastor Sunday here online. We're in between series, and what we do when we're in between series is uh, the campus pastor for that campus gives a message that's kind of been on his heart. And so this morning, that's what you're gonna get from me. I'm really excited, but before we dive in, here's somebody I want you to meet. Somebody who can't say hi back anymore because they're not with us, but somebody I think who will set the stage for us going forward today. This is Emperor Nero. Emperor Nero was famous. If you're in history, whether you read your Bible or whether you hear about those extra biblical things, um, in, in Rome, Emperor Nero was either a really popular guy or a not very popular guy, but either way, he was a famous and well-known guy. And you might know him for a couple different things, but there's one thing at the end of this that I want you to know about him as we kind of dive in, but here are a couple things that you might know him for. You might know him uh, for a guy or as a guy who killed a lot of Christians. In fact, he was a guy that used to light his front path with Christians burning on a cross just to illuminate the place, right? That's pretty crazy. That's pretty ruthless. That's something that he is well known for, something he's famous for. Another thing you might know about him or know that he's famous for is personally as the emperor of Rome participating in the Olympics just to build up some rapport with Greece. That's pretty crazy. Another thing you might know him for is he's a guy, he's an emperor who killed his own mother. That's crazy. That is the ruthless side of Nero. That is a guy who has no regard for a lot of other people besides himself that he was willing to go to those extents. Another thing you might know him for is that little piece of history where Rome gets set on fire and it is entirely this guy's fault, all because he wanted some redecorating to go on. And so he sets the city of Rome on fire just so he can kind of build it from the ground up and kind of add some different pieces to the puzzle that he wanted to see in Rome. And the last thing you might know him for, the last famous thing, uh, or the last thing he might be famous for is murdering not just his first, but also his second wife. The guy was ruthless and the guy was a little bit crazy, but somehow in the middle of all that, whether it was a healthy fear or whether it was a healthy respect because they were kind of scared, um, he had some good rapport with the people because of his affinity for things like the arts and because he was a guy who was willing to go participate in the Olympic Games on his own and nearly die after he was thrown off the 10-horse uh, chariot race just because he wanted his people to be loved by the other surrounding uh, nations, right? And so he's a guy who is a little crazy but somehow still loved uh, by his people. But here's the thing I want you to know about Nero that you may not have known about Nero. Nero was adopted. Emperor Nero was adopted. And adoption is, is one of those fascinating things in the Roman culture, right? Adoption was not super uncommon at all. In fact, adoption played an important role, role in the Roman culture because often it was a way for prestigious families to be able to go and get in an, a, a, a hair if they didn't have a son or somebody to inherit their things. And so adoption was openly practiced. In fact, um, it wasn't a foreign thing for, for a family to go to another family and just immediately adopt out of another family. There wasn't like this giant foster care program like there is in America. And so there wasn't this wait list of people who were waiting to be adopted. What would happen is families who didn't have a male heir would look at other families who maybe had one or more, or if they're willing to pay enough to go get the, the, the one that they wanted out of that family. And that's how the process would work. And so adoption was not uncommon at all. And that is actually how Nero found himself on the throne. And so kind of wanted to get that foundation laid, wanted to get that um, in our head and in our mind and kind of pivot us away from this American idea of adoption and let you know that adoption is a very common thing in Rome in this time um, and practiced by all kinds of different families. In fact, women were not commonly adopted because they didn't have any way to inherit or they were not going to inherit a lot of the things uh, that were there for them. And so pretty fascinating. But here's what's even crazier. Here's what's even crazier about Roman culture and Roman adoption is that if you were born into a Roman family, the family had the option to disown you, 
right? That was not uncommon at all. If, if they saw no benefit in you or if they didn't think you were going to come out with the stature um, or, or at a young age, if you didn't have the respect level or the wherewithal that they thought you would have or they needed their son to have, their heir to have, then they could just disown you. But here's what's fascinating about adoption in the Roman culture. Adoption in the Roman culture, when you were adopted, they were not allowed to disown you. Once you were selected, once you were handpicked by that family, you were with that family no matter what. You were with that family through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And what's, what's even crazier about that is that when you are adopted by that family, all the things that you had that you dealt with were no longer your responsibility, and everything that they had became your inheritance. So there's two big pieces there, right? They were desired by the family, and they were permanent. And so everything that they had, everything that they brought to the table, their debt, their current commitments, their responsibilities from that old family, those things were all done away with and all taken care of, and they were seen brand new in the new family that they would join in. And all of those good things, all those inheritance uh, that were going to be given to them by the new family, those were 100% theirs, and they weren't going anywhere. And so adoption in the Roman culture was absolutely fascinating to me. But um, I want you to understand that, and I want you to see that because Here's what we're going to look at, and this is kind of setting the groundwork for today, and that's this, that adoption gave them a clean slate and granted, this, granted them access to things that they would not have had. So it gave them a clean slate, completely clean slate, wiped away everything else they had to deal with, all that baggage, and it gave them access to all kinds of things they wouldn't have had, especially if you were a guy like Nero who wasn't born into a Roman family and you got picked up by a Roman family. And so I wanted to kind of set the stage with all that. I wanted to lay that groundwork and spend about five minutes on the front end before we dive into the text because uh, in order for us to really understand the text today, we have to know some of what Paul's talking about. So if you have your Bibles, I'm really excited to do this. Um, go ahead and flip to Galatians 4, and that's where we're going to be. We're just going to be in the first few verses of Galatians 4. Um, but if you're on your couch, if you're in your car, wherever you're at, um, if you've got access to a Bible, use it. Great, that's awesome. If not, don't worry. It's going to be right up here behind me. Let's dive right in. Galatians 4, verse 1. This is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, is having to say to these Galatian people, right? He's got a point, and he starts off his point in this chapter with this. He says, Now, I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Okay, that's fascinating, right? Because AJ, you just told us that in Roman culture, when you were adopted, you got access to everything. Absolutely, you do. But check this out. In Roman culture also, you didn't just get to pole vault into that. There was a coming of age. And this coming of age wasn't like in the Jewish culture where it was marked on a calendar, right? In the coming of age in Rome, the father and the parents got to look at the child and say, hey, this child is either ready or they're not ready. And so what Paul is making sure they know he understands is this, that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. And so he's saying, hey, until that coming of age, that child will one day be the owner of everything. But until that coming of age, that child is in the house and he's no different from a slave. He's bonded to the same things that those slaves are bonded to. He's under the same obligations as a slave. He doesn't have his own inheritance yet. Um, he's a worker in the house until that day comes. It says even, and Paul even goes on to say, he says, instead, he's under guardians and trustees until that time is set by his father. Until that father says, hey, this guy is ready to step up and take some ownership 
um, of some of these things. And so right off the bat, um, with all the context in the beginning and these first couple verses, I bet the question you're thinking is, wow, or the thing that you're thinking is, wow, I didn't think I was going to be getting a Roman history lesson today. And to be fair, when I dove into this and my heart was on this passage for a certain reason, I didn't think that I would be getting that either. But as I dove into that and I started to flesh some of those things out, it became clear to me that these things need to be clear for us to truly appreciate um, what Paul's trying to tell us in this. And so he keeps the conversation going. He keeps the conversation going and he dives right into verse three and he says this. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so he starts off this section. He says, hey, in the same way, right, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of this world. And so he's saying, hey, as a child, right, who's no different from the slave in their house, you, me, Christians in Galatia, we were not a lot different. We were kind of in the same ballpark here, right? Because we were, under, we were in slavery under the elements of the world. That's a weird phrase. That's a phrase that we don't use today. It's a phrase that might seem ambiguous. It's a phrase um, that we don't have a, a, a direct translation for. But here's really what Paul meant when he used this phrase, right? The principles or the elements of this world, that's a principle, right? You have the principle of law, the cause of law and effect. You have the principle Murphy's Law, right? If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. Um, my dad often says when we go fishing, why do you invite Murphy every time? Um, because he always ends up on the boat. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. But this one that they're talking about is kind of that principle of cause and effect. And this is what they know. They know that every time they do something, there's an opposite or equal reaction, right? There's, there's gonna be some cause and then there's gonna be an effect to that cause. So the thing that they do is gonna have either a good consequence or a bad consequence. Kind of in their head when they hear this, they know exactly what he's talking about. They're thinking if I do this, then this happens. If they do this to me, then I'm gonna react this way. Or maybe, well, they just got what they deserve. And so there really is no concept of grace at this point in the culture. Everything is designed and kind of filters around, especially for the Romans, this idea of cause and effect, the elements of this world. That's how, in their head, the world works, right? That is the order, cause and effect. And that's a fascinating thing because it's completely um, counter to what we talk about all the time as Christians. And so he's saying right here, until that's revealed to you, you don't know any better. And so he goes on and he says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so he's telling them, yes, these are the things that you knew. And this is how you understood the world to work. But when you decided to pursue Jesus... This is what changed. This is the mindset that completely shifted. And so he reminds them of that. He says, hey, this, is, might have been, this might have been what you did think, but you also understood, because we're having the conversation and you're Christians, that when God sent his son, he came to flip that law that you know about on its head. He came to flip that principle on its head, and instead he came to redeem those who lived under the law. He came to redeem those who thought it was all about cause and effect. So that, this part is so cool, so that you might receive adoption as sons. And so he's showing them all this and he's kind of walking them through this and he's saying, this is what you know to be true, but Paul's showing them this, that Jesus doesn't operate under our worldly principles. Paul's showing them that this is a complete pivot uh, 
the way Jesus operates from the way that they're used to operating. And that's gonna be huge here in a minute. And that's huge for you and that's huge for me because honestly, if we're, if we're honest with each other, um, oftentimes we start to operate under that law of cause and effect and we forget, hey, this Jesus guy, he came to show us grace and to be gracious and so that we could be gracious to other people. And we often throw that out the window the minute we get a short temper, the minute we get impatient, the minute we get upset with somebody. And so we need this reminder just as much um, as the Galatians did. And so he kind of comes full circle in verse 5, and this is what he says. He says, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. This is cool, right? Because I just gave you all kinds of front-end info that we needed to know so that this verse right here that's on the screen, it could pop out to us, right? That we would understand you have received adoption as sons, that's cool, and the concept of adoption has always been pretty fascinating to me, right? It's always been pretty incredible to me because the concept of adoption says you didn't deserve any of this. You didn't choose any of this, and that's not different from Rome because a lot of times those sons were minding their own business, right? And adoption in the Roman culture could go all the way up to uh, what we would probably call adulthood at this point um, until they were out of their parents' house and they were on their own, but so long as they were in their parents' house, they were able to be adopted. And so imagine going your whole life and you've racked up all these debts and you've racked up all this different stuff and you realize, hey, this is kind of the path that I'm on and it's really not going to change, and then someone comes to you and says, no, hey, I'm interested in him. I want to bring him into my house. I want to bring him into my house. Not only do I want to bring him into my house, but I don't want him to have to worry about all that stuff, and I want him to come inherit everything that I've got for him, right? And so it's that idea that, man, I bring to the table all of my brokenness, all of my debts, all of these responsibilities that I was never going to fix, all these commitments that I was never capable of following through with, and Paul's saying, hey, just like that Roman son was chosen, don't forget, you've been chosen. You've been adopted, and so that is why we should live differently. That is why we shouldn't just understand that, hey, it's the, it's the principle of cause and effect. If, if somebody does something to me, I should do something back to them, right? There's an implication to being adopted here. There's an implication to being chosen and being brought into this, and so he keeps going. He keeps going because he wants us, I think, to keep understanding just how much we are loved and just how much the implications of adoption should resonate with us and how much they should mean to us. And he says this in verse 6 and 7. He says, And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Man, because you are sons, right? Remember earlier I said there was no pulling you out of that once you were a part of that family, right? They couldn't do anything to change the decision that they made. Once you were adopted in Roman culture, you were there with that family regardless. And so he's not just saying, hey, you're sons, but he's going further and saying, you are an adopted son. You're not going anywhere. There's beauty in this. That Jesus guy who completely flipped the principles of the world on their head is the same guy who said, I want you to be mine, and this is what he did. And he says, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, literally translates daddy. And that is a fascinating thing, right? Because it's, it'd be weird if we kind of like walked around saying, hey, daddy, my daddy in heaven. Maybe that's a little weird. Maybe it's a little foreign to us here in America just because that's not the churchy language that we grew up with. But this is the picture. And he says, because you're sons, here's what's happened. Because you're a son of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. God has sent his Holy Spirit to be with you. That is the confirmation, that is the blessing that you get as a son who has been adopted by God. And he says, this is the reaction. Crying, Abba, Father, because you're no longer a slave, but a son. 
and if a son, then God has made you an heir. I love that it's using the word crying. I love that that's the picture that gets painted there, right? Because it's not this passive, timid, I'm kind of unsure, I'm kind of uncertain. No, the adoption process is one where you're grabbed, you're taken in, and you're not going anywhere, and they understood that, and that's why Paul's using the analogy, saying if that's you, if that's happened to you, your only response is to cry. It's not timid, it's not a, a slight opening of the mouth. It, it's a shouting, it's a crying out, God, you are so good. I can't believe that you were willing to do this to me and for me. And then he goes on and he says, but you are no longer a slave, but a son. That shift has been made. God has called you his. You're no longer a slave. You're a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. But that's so good, right? Because that, that adopted son cannot help but cry out in joy for their father. An adopted son can't help but sit there and say, I can't believe what has just been done. I can't believe that you're willing to do that for me because they understood the implications of that where I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer second fiddle in my house. I'm no longer wondering what's going on. I understand now fully that I am loved and I have all of these things that my father wants for me. And how much more is a heavenly father gonna take care of you and treat you to those things and help you appreciate those things than a Roman father, than a worldly father of any kind? And so Paul's painting that picture and he's fleshing it out and he's trying to help them understand and realize this culture that you live in has given you a great picture of what's actually happening. God has called you his. And if that's true, then you're not a slave, you're a son. And if you're a son, then God has made you a rightful heir to everything, every blessing that you're gonna get to experience and everything that he's got for you. The biggest of those things, right, being the fact that we get to live with him for an eternity and we don't ever have to wonder again what eternity looks like. And so Paul's reminding these people who have chosen to pursue Jesus and love Jesus and accept Jesus that this is what has happened for them. He has chosen them to live this way. He has chosen them to be loved this way. And so he kind of wraps up and he says, uh, he draws it to a conclusion and reminds them that since they started that relationship with God, they're no longer a slave to sin or principles that skew their view or their actions. But instead, their new father has made them an heir. Instead, their new father has given them the rights to everything that he owns, and he's telling them, hey, you don't have to live that way anymore because of all this I've got for you. Let's not worry about what the world looks like. Let's not worry about what the world acts like. Let's not worry about fitting in with that. Let's be more worried about the fact that I have adopted you, chosen you, loved you, and there's implications for that, right? Because when we understand, and any Roman kid understood this, right? When you're chosen, it's not that you have to live a different way under a different rule. It's that you get to live a different way under a different rule. They were chosen. They get to, to live this way. We get to live in an honoring and obedient life to Jesus because we understand that he took us away from a life that we didn't want, that we shouldn't have wanted, that we were trapped in and gave us a completely new life and a completely new identity. And I love that. I love this passage. I love when you look in scripture and you see the concept of adoption because it's God saying, hey, if nobody else wanted you, if you were stuck in the way that you were, I wanted you. And I wanted you to know that you didn't have to live like that. You didn't have to live under the rule of those things, but that you got to come and you got to live with me and you got to experience the implications of that with me. And it's, it's a crazy thing because that doesn't just happen, right? But in order for that to happen, even when you look at this passage, when he talks about uh, the Son of Man, that happens because God saw such a big need for that and desired that so much that he was willing to give his own son so that you could become his son, right? 
That's huge. God was willing to sacrifice his own son so that you could become his son, so that you could experience all those benefits. But the big thing, the big thing that I want us to see, the big takeaway today for us is this, that heirs live differently, right? And so this is the conversation um, for the Christians watching. If you're a Christian and you're watching this, uh, this is the part of the conversation for you. If you're not a Christian and you're watching this and you've made it this far, you've made it 21 minutes in, that's great. I've got a part of the conversation coming for you too. But if you're a Christian and you're watching this, this is for you. This is for me. This is for us. That when we understand what the adoption process took and what we, when we understand what it looks like and we understand the implications of it, we cannot live the same. And that's the thing that Paul is urging these Galatians towards. That, hey, guys, remember all of these things. Remember all of this that has happened so that you can be confident and you can live differently. Another place that Paul uses this adoption language is in Ephesians 1. And in Ephesians, uh, it's, it's an interesting place. Ephesus is a crazy place. It's a port city, but it's got all these different cultures kind of coming together as one. And it's this melting pot of different cultures. And Christians are absolutely the minority there. And that's probably really intimidating, especially in the early church especially when there's not a global presence of Christians, but you guys are it and you're trying to be confident in who you are. And they get to Ephesus and Paul writes them this letter and says, hey, you can live differently because you've been loved differently. Those other gods that they're praying to, they don't love them, they're not real, but you, you have a real God, a real love, a real relationship. So I'm urging you to live differently, just like he's urging the Galatians to live differently, just like when we read this, we can understand we're being urged to live differently, to love people that we don't wanna love, to show grace when we don't wanna show grace, to dig in to hard conversations when we have better things to do on our calendar. Those are the ways, those are the things um, that we can do as Christians to live differently, to love people better. And so that is the big takeaway for us. Heirs live differently. But the practical takeaway for you uh, who's not a Christian and you're watching this and you maybe just felt like you were needing some hope this morning and so you found this on a share or however else you came across this or maybe you've been coming a little while, you've been watching a little while and you haven't quite made that decision yet um, to follow this person of Jesus that you've been learning about, there is a practical takeaway for you too. It's to understand that the God of the universe saw that you were worth it and that he loved you enough to choose you and say, hey, I'm gonna die for that person. And he would love for this relationship that he's got with me to be a relationship that he's got with you. And so this morning, if that's something you're wrestling with and you're like, hey, I hear that and I, and I believe that and I've heard that over the last couple of weeks in this last series, but I don't know what that looks like and I don't know what my next step is to have that conversation, that's okay. We've got someone right now online who would love to pray with you, who would love to have that conversation with you. And, and if you don't wanna do that online, you don't wanna do that in a private chat room, that's okay. Go and fill out our Get Connected card. We'll drop that right now in the chat if you're watching on our online platform or Facebook. Uh, fill that out and just say, hey, AJ, I would love to have this conversation. I would love to go grab coffee. I would love to go grab lunch, whatever that looks like. This is the favorite, this is the best part of my job. I don't love any part of my job more than being able to have these conversations with you. So if that's a conversation that you would love to have, I would love to have it with you this morning or, or even this week or the next week, whatever you have time to sit down and have this conversation. But those are the big things I want you to see this morning or this week, whenever you're watching this, that Jesus loved you enough to say, hey, I want that person. I want to adopt that person. I want to know that person. I want that person to have blessings and an experience beyond 
anything that this life has to offer, and there's implications to that. And so I hope that you enjoyed that. I hope that it kind of resonated with you, and I hope there's some practical things for you to kind of walk through this week as you consider those things, as you think about those things. But that's what I've got. Um, we would love to hear from you in the chat. Drop a hey, drop a, drop a comment, something that resonated with you in the message. We love to hear all those things. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to wrap up. Jesus, thanks so much for today. Thanks so much that... Um, when I was a slave to the elements of this world, when I was um, nobody, when I had no good family, you chose to say, AJ, I want you, and I'm showing you that by dying for you. And I'm so grateful that now, because I'm in a relationship with you, that I get to experience all those things. And I pray that this morning, you would remind everyone who's watching, um, who has a relationship with you, that that is a phenomenal thing, but there's implications to that. That your love um, demands a new way of living. Not because um, that's what we're obligated to, but because that's what we should be compelled to and we truly understand what you've done when you've chosen us. Father, I pray for the people that are listening right now that don't know you. I pray that um, this morning you would just stir something in their heart and they would start to take the next step and having that conversation with you or with someone they know. I love you and I praise you. We're so grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen.